Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. this sermon a few weeks ago, and it was long. This morning it will not be long. I suppose you can thank God for that, not me. Just a few verses in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 19. This is picking up in the middle of the story of Elijah, just after he has been speaking with God on the mountain after the fire and the earthquake, the wind, and then the still quiet. That's where he heard from the Lord. And then pick up with this. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, while he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen before him, and he with the 12th. And Elijah passed over to him and threw his mantle on him. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So he returned from following him and took the pair of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us this morning through your word and through my weakness. We ask in Christ's name, amen. When I woke up this morning, I could do a fair imitation of my grandfather as I remembered him. Kenneth Taylor was speaking I believe in Africa and when he lost his voice, then traveled to Australia, again going off of a vague memory here, where he determined he would continue to speak and damage that he did to his voice he never recovered from. And so I sound much better than he did for the rest of his life. I remember him always uh, being very difficult to understand very difficult to hear, much more of the silent whisper punctuated by the occasional vocal cord sound. My voice has been improving this morning rather than uh, decreasing, which I thank God for. I tell that story because what happened to my grandfather at that trip was that the Lord changed his calling unexpectedly and suddenly. And that's what we've read of this morning with 
Elijah throwing his mantle or his cloak over Elisha, God changed Elisha's calling in that moment. It was entirely unexpected to Elisha as far as we know, and it was quite sudden, but he knew from that moment that what he was going to be doing from then on was utterly different from what he had been doing. And so my grandfather no longer traveled around the world speaking after that. Obviously. One thing about being Elisha and having that sudden change or having that sudden change that my grandfather had, and certainly we can think of others who have had things happen that totally changed what they were able to do from then on. And we can think of people who have, regardless of ability, received a sudden change in calling. I want to focus this morning in thinking about the goodness and the cost of taking up the work or service in the kingdom. The goodness of it and the cost of it. Now, as I preached this sermon the first time, I had been preaching all the way through 1 Kings, and so you've missed all of the background. So let me fill in a little bit in terms of the history of 1 Kings, in case you can't remember, and Elijah up until this point. But this is after he has said that there will be no more rain, and there was no rain for three years. The people were starving. This is after he then had the conflict with the prophets of Baal on the mountain and ultimately the conflict between God and Baal where God demonstrated his power over the weather. He demonstrated that he is the one who gives food and rain in its season and not the fertility god Baal that they all called on to give them what they needed in life. Demonstrated that power by first consuming the sacrifice and the wood and the altar and the water, but also then by sending rain. And so at that time, the prophets of Baal, 450 of them, were executed. Fast forward from there, and Elisha has been threatened by Ahab's wife, Queen Jezebel. She says, you killed the prophets of Baal, and I swear by the gods, I'm going to kill you. And so Elijah has fled out of Israel and into Judah initially. 
and then been strengthened by the Lord, by a messenger, and sent even further where he hears the Lord ask him, what are you doing here? Ultimately, God confirms Elijah's judgment on the people of God. And so God speaks to Elijah and says, okay, you're going to do three things. Backing up just a little bit, let me read what he says. He says in verse 15, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. So that's a foreign king that he's going to anoint. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. So that's the local king. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall come about the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. I commented uh, first time I preached this on how there is a children's Bible storybook that we use and read and I appreciate tremendously. And yet one of the things that it does is it draws a contrast between Elijah and Elisha. That Elijah was a grim and forbidding man, but Elisha was the gentle prophet. Well, I don't see how you can make that mistake having read the Lord's description of Elisha's work. That the two kings, if, you, if the people have escaped from them, that Elisha shall put them to death. So what is Elijah's work? Elijah is a prophet and he's been appointed by God and now he's been given the work of appointing his successor. And so it doesn't obviously come as a shock to Elijah that he's throwing his mantle or his cloak over Elisha's shoulders. That's why he's walking by. He's been looking for him. He's obeying God's command in going and calling Elisha. And yet... As Elijah responds and says, well, wait, wait, can I, uh, can I go and say goodbye first? Elisha says, do what you got to do. I'm not the one who did anything. The implication seeming to be, it's God who called you. You don't need my permission. God is the one who is at work here. God is the one who is anointing you. Go back again. That's fine. Just remember, it's not my command that this mantle represents. It's God's command. And so there is no going back from that calling. So what is that calling? Well, it's to replace Elijah. And if you think about Elijah... And you think about what he's been through. Think about what his work has been. 
you realize that it is a dangerous calling. It's a dangerous calling. At that moment, Jezebel and her men are seeking to kill him. And so if Elijah is throwing his mantle on Elisha and Elisha is going to be taking over his work, then we know that it's going to be a dangerous time for Elisha too, isn't it? If he's the replacement, he also will have Jezebel as an enemy. He also will have men trying to kill him as he had said to the Lord, I alone of the prophets am left. They're trying to kill me. He wasn't lying. He wasn't wrong. They were trying to kill him. And they would try to kill Elisha. And so the calling of a prophet of this sudden change is a big switch. He goes from being a comfortable better than middle class farmer. Remember, at that time, many, many people were farmers and it certainly wasn't viewed as some sort of low work. There needed to be many farmers. He was quite well off though. Twelve pair of oxen. It's a substantial investment. It represents substantial wealth. The amount of food that you have to grow just to feed twelve oxen is much more than you will be growing in your backyard garden. Unless you are a farmer, you cannot grow enough food for 12 pairs of oxen. Unless you have the desire only to feed your oxen, you need a lot more land. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, Shaphat, I guess, presumably, is well off. And Elisha has that to look forward to. A nice, peaceful existence of farming, eating well, having plenty. And now he doesn't have that to look forward to anymore. Now he has the danger of speaking God's will, God's words, calling the people to repentance, speaking truth to power, and having enemies. And so it's dangerous. There's another sense in which it's dangerous, though, and that is that he will be held to a higher standard. It's not just dangerous before men. It is dangerous before God to speak the words of God, to be called as a prophet. We know that this is true both from Old and New Testament passages God will hold him to a higher standard. Not something that a lot of people consider, but when they do, something that not a lot of people would choose. 
yeah, I, I'd, like, I'd like to be judged more strictly by God. How is that even possible? This is a dangerous calling. And yet, it is also a tremendous, glorious calling. It's a calling to speak God's words. The immediate question that should pop into your mind is, okay, what are God's words? And of course, you can go to the historical context and think about what Elijah had been saying, or you can think forward and ask yourself, what does Elisha end up saying? But back up for a second. The calling is to speak God's words. That's what a prophet does. So I ask again, what are God's words? God's words are good. God's words are holy. They're true. They're perfect. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. What are God's words? They're amazing. Who could ask for a better calling than to speak God's words? Knowing these things are true of God's words. Set aside wondering for a minute what exactly you will be saying. You know that if you are speaking God's words, you will be speaking absolute truth. You know that you will be speaking life. You know that you will be giving people precisely what they need. You know that they will be words filled with power. Think of Psalm 119, all the things that are said about God's words, and think, Elisha, He's now got that work proclaiming these wonderful, majestic truths. And so it is truly remarkable, glorious calling to be set apart to proclaim God's word. But who is he? going to be proclaiming God's words too, not to the oxen, to God's people. And that is the second reason why it's such a glorious calling. It's a glorious calling to speak God's word to God's people. Who are the people of God? Israelites, the church, those who have been set apart, chosen by God.
Yes, he may also have the responsibility of speaking God's words to heathen kings. Yes, he may also have the duty of speaking God's words to uh, nations that refuse to submit to God. But what a joy it is to be able to speak God's words to God's people. You know, how could it be a joy, though, if they're unrepentant? That's, I think, what pops up in our minds. And in the context, of course, it's true. Certainly thinking about today as well. Sounds good and glorious to have the words of God to speak, but what if the people don't want to hear them? Does that make it less glorious? If they are as rebellious as the Israelites under Ahab, does it make it less glorious? No. Still the fact that they are God's people set apart, chosen, a special people, a holy people. a royal priesthood. Yes, it makes it sadder to proclaim God's word and to not see the fruit that one desires. Certainly that's what Elijah was struggling with, the sorrow. of the lack of repentance from God's people. But even Jonah gives us a clue to who we'd rather speak to, doesn't he? When he's sent to the Ninevites, oh, God. Why? Well, not just because we're comfortable with God's people, not just because they're perfect and good. They aren't. Because they are truly God's people. And so if they are unrepentant, if they are hard-hearted, if they are caught in their trespasses and sins, how much more glorious to speak God's words to them, to call them out of darkness and into light. Elisha is called to this work out of the simple, comfortable, hard work of farming. and he leaves it joyfully. It's a sudden change. He leaves it joyfully and permanently. He slaughters the two oxen that he's using, and then he burns the plow and the yoke, the implements 
that he's using. There's no going back. It's a declaration. I'm done with this now. I've been given something else. I've been something, given something greater, something higher. And I don't regret it at all. He surely knows it will be hard. He clearly knows that it is a glorious, marvelous, wonderful calling. So perhaps some of you here will unexpectedly be called to be proclaimers of God's word, to become pastors, preaching God's words to his people. We don't know. Some of you may be already pursuing that calling. God is able in an instant to change our plans, isn't he? All you women are breathing a sigh of relief because you know you won't ever be called to be a preacher. Now let me ask you, what is the calling of motherhood but proclaiming God's word to his people? It's a marvelous calling, isn't it? Who are God's people if they aren't the covenant children that God has given to his people? And what is it to raise them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord if it isn't to proclaim his words to them? It's a glorious, high calling to be a mother. It's a lot like being a pastor. It's a lot like being a prophet. And it can be just as thankless and dangerous, can't it? It's a marvelous, marvelous thing. Elisha did not kick against the calling. He submitted to it with joy. He didn't look back. And what did he end up doing? He ended up serving Elijah. That's what we see here. And he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. Oh, what a letdown. <laughs> Been talking up all the danger, all the, the glorious nature. And, and what does he do? He ministers to Elijah. What does that mean? Well, in 2 Kings 3, we hear about how <clears throat> they're looking for a prophet of the Lord. And somebody says, oh, you remember that there was that guy who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah? That's what it means to minister to Elijah. Elisha was following Elijah around and 
you know, and it's time for Elijah to wash his hands, and Elisha was there, ready. Sounds a lot like being a mom again, doesn't it? Helping people wash their hands. Don't be afraid to follow God and his calling in your life, even if it's a radical change. And certainly, it's a radical change to become a pastor or to become a prophet. Once you cross that line, there's no going back, right? Now you're held to a higher standard. Now you're judged more strictly. Once you have a child, you're always a mom. There's no going back. It's a big change. How will you reply? How will you respond if your life is changed in an instant? I asked myself that this morning. What if I never get my voice back? Can I keep preaching? I don't know. My life could be changed in an instant. One of the things that I meant to say yesterday that I didn't was that when we lost our little one, I thought I would never preach again. I didn't think I would be capable. God granted me strength, and so I continue to preach. For that, I bless his name. But can he change my life? Can he change my calling? Yeah, he uses me as he wants. He'll use you as he wants. And then the question is, will you respond like Elisha? And you want to. Sacrifice the oxen. Doesn't matter what you're giving up. Let it be permanent. Burn up the implements too, and then do what he's given you to do now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what joy it gives us to see Elisha turn and humbly follow. Elijah, humbly submit himself to your new calling for his life. Father, continue to raise up faithful men who will proclaim your truth with boldness and without fear, without shame, knowing that your words are indeed marvelous and wholly true. Feed your people, we ask. And give us humility to respond as Elisha responded. We ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.